This episode is made possible by our generous patrons. Welcome to the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm Luke. And I'm James. And this week we discuss Dennis Johnson's 1992 short story collection, Jesus' Son. Happy Valentine's Day. You uh, realize this episode's coming out on, on the 14th? Yeah, I mean, now I do. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty funny. It's a feeling yeah. project, right? Yeah, uh, it's such a romance, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah, we got a little we got a little off. We meant to do silver linings on this week, but I think we got off on our weeks, but whatever. Um, what it is, though, is this is, a, this is a collection of short stories that made me, well, par- partially is responsible for me falling in love with language and wanting to be a writer. Um, I know I read it in college, so I was already well on the path, but it, I remember it just really strongly affected me when I read it. And so in that sense, it is a love story. It's me loving stories. <laughs> <laughs> just finishing this, this, I guess, collection of short stories. And I can, I can completely see that. And because it's just like this experience reading a book that I've never really had before. Like there's, there's been things that have been similar, but this was like such a very specific thing in such a very specific voice um right. it's poetic while yeah. also being like completely gruesome and horrific at times and just like hard to read and mm. and uh, it's just it's it's cool because it's like truth while also being surreal and then it's also poetic i don't know it's it's there's yeah. a, it's crazy it was a, it was a very interesting there's a experience. lot of like really funny parts in this book too which is weird to say sometimes because it's so dark it's oh, this really sure. dark comedy at times um yeah there's something about like the how like incoherent it is mm. like it's like per on purpose and it's like yeah. it's like the stream of consciousness even trying to formulate something it just like it blows my mind that, that he was able to write something and have it be so scatterbrained kind of like an addict or like someone who's using would be while yeah. also like i said being so poetic and and so like well written and and presented well we'll get into his bio a little bit uh here in a minute um which i think is interesting uh, but you, yeah, you won't be surprised to hear that he does write poetry as well, because this guy can really, you know, nail a sentence. Uh, that's one of the, he's one of those writers that I just stop every like every page or two and just am in awe of some sentence he wrote and go, oh, my God, I, I could spend my entire career chasing a sentence like that. It's wild. And sometimes it's like I'm thinking that this is the from the perspective of our narrator. And it's like, is our narrator describing these things in this in this capacity, or is it just like, maybe he's able to he's able to see these things, but not necessarily? Because it seems to me that like the the narrator wouldn't necessarily be able to describe things in this kind of detail, but we as the readers seeing through his eyes are, and maybe that's something to do with like his drug addiction or something like that. Okay, so you're, it sounds to me like you're trying to uh, separate. And it, or figure out how separate the author is from the narrator? Oh, not necessarily. I just mean that, like, the, it seems to me that the prose is more, it's it's at a level that I wouldn't expect the narrator to, to kind of go to. You know what okay. I mean? Like, I don't necessarily think that he would be thinking this intellectually. There's some stuff about that that, I mean, loosely about that that you might find interesting, but we'll, we'll get to it in a minute. Uh, before we do, though, I wanted to announce to, to our listeners who might be like, you know, this is kind of a weird project. I don't know about this. Um, this is, this is sort of a like passion project of mine. Like I said, it's he, this guy's a writer's writer. Um, I would call him, 
He's if you've been in like MFA programs and you've been around a lot of this kind of stuff, like you probably know about him. H how widely popular he is outside of that world, I don't really know. There is a book, there is a movie. Obviously, that's why we're covering it. Um, and I I think it it did okay, but I do believe it was considered like an indie movie at the time. But we are for those of you who listened for like the more mainstream stuff. Uh, we wanted to go ahead and announce we're doing Game of Thrones uh, season one after this project is over. So make sure to check that out. It's going to be uh, it's going to be very exciting because that is another huge project for me because George R. R. Martin and that book series is one of the reasons that I write fantasy and write speculative genre fiction in general. Game of Thrones and we we all know how big of a phenomenon it is and and like we're excited for the 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 finale that's coming here soon. So yeah. we really wanted to like relive it and do it with the audience. So it'll be yeah. fun. We thought it'd be cool to go back and revisit, you know, like the origin. So if you haven't seen season one and, you know, in whatever seven or eight years it is now and you and you just want to kind of go back and relive the early days, um, it should should be a lot of fun. So definitely check that out. But yeah, man, I just wanted to talk to you more about your general thoughts on this, because you said like this isn't really the sort of thing you read. No, I will say this is like now this is a very good example, but this is like kind of a taste of modern literary writing. Mm -hmm. in a way that I think a lot of people aren't exposed to. And when a lot of people think of literature, they think of like stuff that was written in the 1800s as being literature, you know? And like that stuff is too, but that's more like classic literature. Um, and th this is more contemporary. Now this was written in the 90s, so it's, it's I'm sure it's moved on, you know, was, uh, you know, actually what, almost 30 years ago now. It's about as old as me. Yeah, man. Um, I don't know. What's, what was what was it like reading something like this? And, and how did it compare to like everything else we've read? Well, I mean, comparison to everything we've read, it's completely different. And um, but I can see like why you wanted us to do it, because it is it's so so it's so purely from a, like a, I can see that this he's like a, one of the Mount Rushmore's maybe potentially of like this sort of this sort of fiction. And it makes me for my own personal life, it makes me and I've talked about this on the on the podcast before, but um, it makes me think of like creative writing classes that I've taken in college and things like that that weren't necessarily in my in my major, but I wanted to take to kind of like flesh out my education. So like uh, when I when I I've said the story before, but briefly, I uh, when I went into my the creative writing class for the first class, I was, it was a fiction writing class, mm -hmm. and so I was like, oh, this will be really fun. I'll get to write some fiction. This is the type of fiction that everybody else in the class was trying to write, and I was trying while well, I was trying to write like very genre specific mm -hmm. fiction. Uh, for the first like week or two and then I wised up and started trying to I think we talked about this in episode one of this podcast Is that funny? Here we are episode yeah. 76. This is gonna be I think uh, yeah. 76 episodes later. Yeah, yeah, exactly I, And I, I shared that I had a similar experience um, where where yeah at my school I was at they didn't like genre either <laughs> um, and th But this is like this shows that like you can write really interesting stuff like this, but it's hard because often people aren't exposed to this sort of thing until they arrive in those classes. So then it's like, here's a thing that you've never been exposed to. Now we're trying to write something like that. <laughs> like, that's tough. Well, that's it's, yeah, order. it's just like when you, it's like for, for a lot, I think for a lot of general audiences, when you hear fiction, you think like, you think like fantastical worlds or you think like something like very, very fiction, but pop you can, like you can have something that's fiction. grounded in, Right, you can have something that's grounded in in real life and just a story that you're telling that it doesn't have any any just you know it just has human elements to it. So I feel like that opened my eyes up to this kind of stuff. And then a lot of the stuff we read in those classes were in the same vein. But I but that's why I feel like I had an appreciation for this uh, is just having that like little tiny background in that. And then going into this, I was just blown away. Just there's just the sheer like the weight of these stories. Like each one 
you, I had to take a breather in between each one. And it was just like, yeah. they're, they're heavy They're while also being like so densely well-written. And it's not like dense in the way that it's like hard to read through, but it's just like, there's so much subtext or there's so much, there, there's the plot of what's going on in these stories. And then there's also like another plot going on where he's like laying subtext for some sort of other like moral story that he's trying to tell or something like that. Yeah, man. Uh, so I, I wrote down, it's like trying to eat 10 filet mignons in a row. Uh, that's what these stories are like. Filet mignons of sadness. <laughs> um, yeah. they, it's it is. It's like they're they're delicious. It's great, but it's so like rich and 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 hearty, and you just want to savor it. And so it's really hard to just power through this book, even though it's super short um, compared to a lot of the other stuff we've read. So yeah, I mean, I agree. It's 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 a really. I mean, it's weird because it's so sad and like it definitely feels it feels kind of soul crushing at times while you're reading it. This obviously this book is filled with existential dread and, and angst and that can be a bit uh, oppressive to certain people i guess um and and to me too but i also sort of enjoy it um and so i do recommend this book to people um if you wanted to give a t- if you wanted to give like contemporary literature a taste because there's also a lot of just like exciting stuff that happens in here too like it's not dry at all like this is about a fucked up guy literally called fucked fuckhead is his nickname and uh he's a drug addict and he just like goes through life and crazy shit happens to him and around him and he does crazy shit and we just kind of follow his life and i don't know it's just really fascinating something about each story too is that it feels like while you're reading it it feels important like each story like it it feels like an important thing to read and an important perspective even though it's not necessarily from like some some like actual life experiences or anything like that it's like it just feels like because he's giving us as the readers this perspective we're able to i think empathize and sympathize with people who are addicts a little more and and then and then not to mention like it feels important just because of the way that he's writing you can just tell that this is somebody who's respected in in his in his field and is bringing something like really special so I have a I have a couple of things that that just like came to me while reading this. How familiar are you, are you with David Lynch's films? Not, you know, I thought I was more familiar than I am because I actually like reviewed like a discography of him at some point and like read down the list and realized I don't even know if I've seen any of them. I might have seen like one. So he he is such an interesting filmmaker because he does this thing where he also where, did um Twin Peaks, right? Yeah, he did Twin Peaks. Yeah, so I watched. I've only seen like two or three episodes of that, but that's that might be the only David Lynch I've actually seen. There's something that's been coined about him. There's like Lynchian. He has like a Lynchian um, kind of style to him, and mm-hmm. this a lot of these stories were bringing that to me. And it's kind of like this sort of like absurdist, surreal. Like you're not supposed to really understand what's going on, but at the same time, like you, if you like reread it or rewatch it or like kind of try to understand it a little more, there's more to it. And it's like the normal, there's like things going on that are normal and abnormal. Things that are abnormal be- begin to seem normal. It's like really hard to explain. But basically this this felt very like Lynchian to me. And it felt creative in like a totally different way than than I think a lot of other people can even like think. You know what I mean? Can you, I don't yeah. know a lot of people that like can even go to this, to this space to write something like this. Well, like, like Lynch, I mean, from what I understand, just from what I know about him, it seems like he's, would you say it's fair to say he's influenced many directors who've come after him and you know oh for sure i mean i was just i was yeah i was just watching um a yorgos lanthimos film which he did like the lobster and like uh 
the killing of a sacred deer the favorite and the favorite yeah yeah he so he um he's definitely influenced by david lynch just like that sort of like it's just this style it's just this tone and the style and the way that like each one each one has their own style of that kind of thing but it's like that absurdist kind of surreal so i don't know if you're familiar with uh who raymond carver is or does that name sound familiar to you no i'm not familiar so he's a pretty well-known uh short story and i think he wrote novels too Uh, i'm not like an expert in raymond carver but i've read some of his stuff and i really enjoyed it and we're about to get into bio but uh Dennis Johnson attended the Iowa MFA workshop, writer's workshop, which for literary workshops is considered the top workshop in the, in the nation. And while he was there, he was like one of his professors was Raymond Carver. So he's considered kind of a disciple of Raymond Carver. You know, how, how overstated or understated that, you know, is, I don't know. And then he's gone on to... Well, it's always cool to see like the lineage, yeah. Right. And then he's gone on to influence like a whole generation of writers who've come after from this book, you know, those written in the early 90s. I just can't even like begin to understand because it's like, how do you how do you take yourself to these places? And how do you like you're supposed to, you know, subvert expectations, but it's like there are no expectations. Like you can't even expect any of these things that are going on. Well, you have none of the trappings of genre to fall back on, um, which is scary when you try and write this sort of stuff. We're about to get into the the bio stuff, but this stuff is semi-biographical, autobiographical, I should say. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, he said much of this uh, happened to him. Uh, some of it happened to people he knew, but like his nickname was Fuckhead when he was in his 20s hmm. and a drug addict. So, uh, yeah. So it it's, was it's, very close to him. I thought it was more like this like removed artist writing something that he didn't know, but it was a, he was like in it. So this reminds me of the collection of short stories. Now, I've also heard them called story cycles. I don't know how official a term that is, but I kind of like it. So mm-hmm. maybe I'll call it a story cycle. Um, but they're like they're, <laughs> they're like linked short stories, but they do each kind of stand on their own. That's how this book is. Um, there's mm-hmm. another one that I absolutely love called The Things They Carried, which is about the Vietnam War. But that is a similar book because it's 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 autobiographical, but it's also fiction because it's like not all about him. He uses other people's stories and then he like changes some stuff and changes the dates on things and shifts things around to make it thematically interesting and to make like a certain point with what he's trying to tell. So it's like, it's kind of real kind of fiction that then gets, then becomes fiction because you know, you can't, it can't be half untrue and then still be called nonfiction. So um, yeah. And then it's, it's all blurry lines. And then he says, it's also like really like fuzzy memory. So some of it, he doesn't even know what was real and what wasn't. And I think that all reflects and. Wow. That like kind of, I have, now I have to reread the the whole novel because like that totally changes my perspective on, on everything. (laughs) So before we get into, we're going to get into more specifics after we do bio, but even before that, um, I have a lot of ideas that were occurring to me. Now, this is my second time reading it. And then I've read certain stories like um, Car Crash While Hitchhiking and Emergency in particular, um, mo- like many other times. Like, I've, I think I've read Emergency probably like eight or ten times now. Can we say that that's your favorite one or do you do you not like to pick favorites? Because I, I feel like that might have been my favorite as well. Yeah, I mean, like, it's. I think it's safe to say that's the most famous story from this collection. I'll be interested to see because it seems to me like from what I know of the movie, it's like the linchpin of the movie. And I, but I, I'm curious how much of this other stuff is in the movie. Um, neither of us have seen it, so we'll we'll find out. Yeah, that's that's another whole other thing. I can't even. I don't even know how you adapt this. Well, okay, I'm gonna put you on the spot at the end of the episode because I want to. I want to ask you how you would go about 
or how you can try and imagine adapting this book into a movie. So, okay. so maybe be kind of thinking about that. But I think yeah. this question I'm about to ask you actually might kind of help in that along those lines. This time I was reading it, I was trying to figure out what makes this like a cohesive book. What links these stories other than character? Like, obviously, it's the same person, but I'm I'm thinking like thematic. I'm thinking about like the point it's trying to make, um, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And I know that's a big question, but did any of that stuff like was any of that stuff running through your head that you felt like there was some sort of message behind this book that you could pick up on? I mean, I feel like there's a lot, but to say one specific one, um, clearly, I think he's trying to humanize addiction. Like, I think that he's trying to bring it to a more attainable level for people because, you know, you'll see an addict and like know that somebody's using and see them as like violent or dangerous and like they very well could be. But at the same time, it's like they're struggling with something that's like basically now that they've started it, it's almost out of their control. And it's like coming back from that is really hard. I feel like that that would be like the the obvious through line. Well, let me let me let me, um, ex- you know, examine that a little bit. So I think one of the ways he does that, and I agree that he does that, is to show addiction through our narrator, at least, as being almost a coping mechanism for him, in my opinion, uh, for sort of like the absurdity of life. It's like he's giving away, to me, it felt like he was giving away control constantly to the drugs because he didn't want to be in control of his own life. And I think it was partly because of, like, the tragedy that was always surrounding him. I think it felt safer for him if it was just, like, I'm not in control anymore. Now the drug is. Um, Mm -hmm. And then it also just, like, there's also a little bit of that, like, seeking meaning. Um, It feels to me like our narrator is looking for meaning throughout this book. Whether it's, like, from the divine or from drugs or from sex or from nature itself. Um, there's all sorts of things we see him sort of turning to throughout these stories. To me, it felt like he he really wanted to find a purpose and find, you know, he at sometimes we see him doing things that are heroic and often we see him are somewhat heroic. And then other times we see him being like completely reprehensible. Um, and it's almost like he's just experimenting different things and trying to figure out who he is and like where he fits into this fucked up world. And then he surrounded himself with people who are kind of doing the same thing. Um, And so then all that stuff becomes framed, in my opinion, in that same light. It's like they're all, everybody's just trying to figure out how to live. And then we see all these relationships between these people are totally fucked up. And, but they're also like some of the most memorable, happy moment, like uh, memories they have. But then we see so many of these relationships. I'm talking about like romantic relationships. They always go terribly wrong. So it's like it's the same thing with the drugs. Like obviously that's leading to tragedy, and and so it's it's like uh, it's like this trap that he's in, searching for meaning or something, and you know maybe going to the wrong places for it. I don't know. So you just kind of had rattled some stuff in my brain and made me start thinking about something. Uh, obviously the story is called Jesus' Son, right? Right. Um, and like I think there's like kind of you were kind of touching on some of the reasons why it could be Jesus' Son. Um, like the idea that Christ or Jesus was this this person, like in the biblical sense, somebody who died for sins. It's like you're going around and sinning and seeing if you can find forgiveness through that. And and it's like we have the ability to sin because because of Jesus' death is is like that perspective. And so it's like Jesus' son is like basically the, the person who comes after sin has been forgiven if you like look for the path through Jesus. And that also right. brings, brings up an interesting point of religion that I kept seeing popping up. 
in interesting ways. And honestly, because of the title going in, I kind of thought that there would be real like religious undertones, but I kept I kept picking up on like maybe even really, really subtle ones where it was like somebody would just use like Jesus as like an expletive where they'd be like, Jesus, what are you doing? Or something like that. Well, there's a moment in emergency where he thinks he sees an angel like through the snow and he starts like he like talks about how he's going to shit him. He almost shit himself. He was so afraid of it. Right. Um, but then it ends up not being that. Yeah. Well, how about the, and then in the car crash? Oh yeah. yeah and in car crash, he has like that, the moment of like when she's the, the wife is finding out about the husband, I believe. And, and she's like, like the, the room is like glowing and she's like screaming and he's hearing like otherworldly things. And, and we never know like what's, what's drugs and what's something else. Right. Like, so that's that blurring that line. Cause we also know he's on drugs throughout all of these stories. <laughs> so, and he's on like often like L- LSD or, or like, you know, hallucinogens or whatever. And so who knows what's going on in his head. And, and to me, that's kind of the through line through all of it. And, and it, if you look at it through that lens, it's interesting because I think there is sort of a arc for the character by the end. All right. So I think let's go ahead and get into bio for uh, Dennis. Uh, Dennis Hale Johnson was born in July 1st, 1949, he died in May 24th of 2017. So just a couple years ago. I actually oh, really? think I, wow. I do remember hearing about this. Yeah, he was only 67. So he's he's fairly young. Liver cancer. Oh, wow. I actually like didn't know what year the book came out. I didn't look at it when I started reading it. And I didn't know the age of this person. And for some reason, I thought that it was like a, I thought it was like mid 2000s book and but written by a younger, younger man. Right. No, so so the early stories, I believe, are supposed to be set in, like, the late 70s, early 80s. Because he talks about Vietnam a little bit here and there, right? Right. Yeah, because Vietnam, because, yeah, Vietnam had just happened when he was uh, when he was in his 20s, I guess, or was happening around that time, yeah. He is most famous for this collection of short stories. He has also written a novel called The Tree of Smoke, which won the National Book Award for Fiction, so also well-known for that. Um, he's written plays, poetry, journalism, and nonfiction as well. And he just had another collection of short stories that was published, uh, posthumously that just came out, I think earlier this, this, uh, last year, I believe. Now he was a recluse in life, famously so, um, didn't agree to do hardly any appearances, did very few interviews, was, was, you know, just not really a public figure. Um, now, occasionally he'd come out and he'd teach like a semester at like the Iowa workshop. And it must have been incredible to be in one of those classes um, because it was a re- like he was not on faculty. It was just like every now and then he'd come and do a semester. I did. I was able to find some of the interviews he did. Um, there was two major interviews and and my notes got a little scrambled and I'm not sure what came from which interview. So what I'll do is I'll put both interview. I'll put links to both interviews in the show notes. If you want to see the full the full interviews, but there's a couple things in, in these interviews that I think is really interesting because like literally that's all the bio I have um, other than like stuff I picked up from interviews that I read. But some of this stuff I thought was really interesting just just to sort of like set the table for us getting into more detail. So the interviewer asks, do you see your first person narrators, fuckhead namely, as having written the stories themselves? And his response voice. I don't think of it as under my control. I like Fuckhead's voice, I liked it the minute I heard it, and I enjoy its doubleness. He seems to be immersed in his era, and then also looking back on it from years afterward. But that's all I can tell you about that. When I was an undergrad, I took courses from the poet Marvin Ball, who said, Don't be committed to one voice. I don't remember if he said it once or if he said it often, but it stuck with me and I stick by it. I try to forget what I've already written, and forget what it sounded like, and treat each attempt as if it were my very first. Which, uh, to me, like, I've read a lot of, like, 
authors talking about stuff and this was something sort of fresh to me i'd never really heard this because a lot of times people talk about like you'll develop a voice over time and that'll become what you're known for and that'll it'll be in all your work and all this stuff whereas he's sort of uh, dismissing voice um a little bit and saying that he tries to approach everything in like a fresh way with a new voice um which is i don't know how possible that is but it's it's interesting that he approaches things that way I can understand a new perspective and a new like a new way of writing uh, like a character from a different background or something like that. But to just fully change your voice, like especially from this, for I, I, there's no way if he wrote something else, I would know it was him. You know what I mean? <laughs> You'd think. Yeah. All right. So here's another one I thought was interesting. You've discussed with critics how your work trades in spiritual themes. How you how would you characterize the theological questions you ask about religion or God in your work? Have these and uh, have these questions changed over time? His response, ah, now this is a question I've learned to run from, and it's the chief reason I avoid giving interviews. If I've discussed these things in the past, I shouldn't have. I'm not qualified. I don't know who God is or any of that. People concerned with those questions turn up in my stories, but I can't explain why they do. Sometimes I wish they wouldn't. If he doesn't want to talk about it and he's that far, he's it's because he himself is struggles with it on a daily basis or did struggle with it i'm sure i mean it's interesting right like this interesting kind of evasion of an answer but but in and of itself it is an answer too right because it's so that's right for his characters who are who are searching for meaning and clearly he is too and he doesn't want to i don't think he wants to pin it down because i think it can rob some of the mystique of the story if you start to to lay it all out um now i believe this is from a different interview so the questioner is asking him about going back and rereading the stories of Jesus's son. And he's and they say, what did you feel towards them when you read them, even if you would sit down and read them by yourself? And he says, well, I don't know. I rarely read them to myself, but reading them out loud, I really enjoyed the humor in them. People would almost always come up to me afterwards and say, I didn't realize those were funny. I thought those stories were just sad. When you read them out loud, people laugh a lot because the characters are humorous. It's just their situa- situations are generally very, very bleak. And I think that's true. I think often, like, I have to almost step back a little bit and think about how, like, it is actually pretty funny. And then I can totally see that if you're in a room full of people and he's reading those stories out loud, there's probably a lot of laughs mm-hmm. for a lot of the crazy shit that happens in it, you know? The way that he writes these these characters and these stories in this specific collection here he's writing it as it would happen in real life it's not like there's there's like there's no plot really right it's just like wherever the wind blows these characters whatever happens happens i think it's like laughing from absurdity like there's some genuinely funny moments though that we can talk about as they come up but (laughs) yeah but i feel like he's by saying that he didn't mean to write it as funny like clearly he was like infusing some humor just because i think that that's part of stories oh no i think i think he may have meant for it to be funny but i think a lot of people who reading it like in the quiet of their own home maybe don't recognize the humor of it all the time and it's not until they're in a room full of people laughing and they go oh that was supposed to be funny (laughs) okay yeah i get you i get you uh, so one other thing, um, I won't read the full question, but basically they they compare him to some other famous authors and, and talk about him being really influential. And one he agrees with is he says that uh, he was influenced by The Catcher in the Rye and that that was like one of his favorite books growing up. That's one of my favorite books. Yeah, he feels like in a similar way that this is a story of what he called the journey of a youthful soul. Hmm. So there's really not a lot. There's those couple interviews he gave. I was looking for him on YouTube to see him like, oh, did you do any like recorded interviews? Not really. Um, I could find some readings he did at like different MFAs and stuff, MFA programs. 
videos with like 50 views and stuff it's it's wild but it's out there if you want to look for it but um really he was a he was a pretty reclusive guy who just didn't do a lot of didn't do a lot of public appearances oh and in one of the interviews they were talking to him about his home in idaho he has this he had like 120 acres out in idaho and he was just like out in the middle of nowhere and like kind of on his on his you know 120 acres yeah, as much as selfishly, as much as selfishly, I would have liked there been like more interviews. And but I think I think having some of that mystery like adds to the stories while also it makes me feel good that like I kind of feel like he got to live the life he wanted to live. If he wanted to be a recluse and not have to deal with the public eye and everything, it sounds like he succeeded. Well, and, and it's I'm sure he's never really said like this is true that happened to me and this was in fiction. You know what I mean? Like, but clearly a lot of this stuff actually happened. Um, uh, I read in his bio that he was, he was on his third wife when he died. Um, so, and, and we know the character in the book seems to talk, definitely talks about being married once, maybe twice. I was unclear. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, you know, I, clearly I think he's had a very fraught romantic history, you know, history throughout his life. And it's, it's really interesting because it's like, if a lot of this stuff is true, then holy shit, you know? some of the stuff this guy lived through i mean yeah i mean we're we're gonna get into the like some of the little details <laughs> here in a second but just think about like if if car crash while hitchhiking is real like that's yeah. a, that's like the most traumatic thing that ever happens to you and like like and then everything that follows is also right there with it it's crazy yeah it's been through a lot well i mean like. you talked about it so i think it's time i think it's time we get into it so you're gonna you're gonna give me you have a little description for each one of these you were gonna read uh just to kind of set yeah. the set the stage we're gonna go through we're, we won't go like real in depth into the plot so we'll just we'll set the stage and then we'll just talk about each story briefly and we're gonna try and move through them all so like we could have done an episode for each story in this in this book like very easily but we decided <laughs> that might have been a bit much so we're, we're, we're gonna try and get through it here yeah i think this is the this is the point where we should say that if you haven't read this book you should you should definitely check it out because we're not going to do it justice by these little blurbs and then oh, no. and and like we're definitely going to talk about the details so if you do read it you can come back and kind of have that that knowledge of these stories and, and get it more out of it we're trying to set the table so that like if you read this but it's been a while like you can remember oh they're talking about that one story where this happens okay so car crash while hitchhiking my little blurb here is a hitchhiker on drugs gets a ride from a family he has a vision of them getting into a crash and then it happens <laughs> it's it's this story man right out of the gates it is such a gut punch to me um it's 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 so sad and so beautiful too and and um, I thought it was really interesting how he has this sleeping bag draped over his shoulders like a cape, which I thought was an interesting sort of image um, as he's this like clearly not a hero and the, the, the way he's behaving is not heroic, but it mm-hmm. kind of is because he also has the baby. So yeah, he's in it. He's in He's like hitchhiked with a family, but he like has this premonition that they're going to get in a car crash and then they do. And then it's just like, it's crazy. It's chaos, right? This is yeah. I I didn't even make the cape connection. That, that's cool. I like that. But um, the interesting thing to me is that he just accept. He doesn't say anything about it. He just accepts it. And he's in the car too. So you know, like he yeah. could potentially have gotten killed or hurt. And he's yep. just like, we're gonna get in a wreck and whatever. I'm gonna lean my head against the side of the car and just let it happen. Um, and then and the he's baby, just like somehow miraculously unscathed. Though it seems like yeah. And so is the baby, and which so is, is baby. also amazing. I thought every. I thought they were gonna make it out, and there was like, gonna be some larger story of because i was immediately thinking that there was going to be religious stuff so i thought there was going to be some miracle that happens um but it's kind of the opposite in a way there are miracles but at the same time there's this tragedy yeah i mean and so he walks he kind of walks through the through the destruction and he sees a man splayed out near death 
like very near death unconscious like snoring i think he says he's like snoring rudely or something which is such a crazy way to describe it and then he just like keeps walking on he has the baby in his arms and then like a semi has pulled over and he gets in with the guy who's in there and they're just like sitting there together watching it and just like waiting for mm-hmm. something to happen i don't know it's it's this it's like this bizarre thing where you you want them to like do something i don't know yeah um but you can also see like they're they're in they're in shock clearly right like everybody's in shock and and so the cops come and and basically they say like you need to go to the hospital and they take everybody to the hospital and then he gets there and kind of like sees the fallout of like the husband when they when they loaded the husband up into the into the ambulance and everything he was like basically like there's no way that they're gonna make it that he's gonna make it and then they they like by the time they get there i believe he's died so there's a line and i can't i can't remember it specifically but the gist of it was that uh there was like a tragedy of the man is clearly dreaming and our narrator can't he can't tell our narrator he's like what he's dreaming and then like our narrator can't tell him that he is dreaming right does this sound familiar to you do you remember that line am i getting it close (laughs) yeah i don't think i've ever talked about this in the podcast but I was in a really severe car accident myself about 10 years ago, and I was in a coma for about, I don't know, a week, week and a half after it happened. And I have a lot of crazy memories of like weird dreams and being in and out of consciousness and like reality sort of being blurred between dreaming about what happened and like what actually happened and then forgetting what happened. And all this stuff. And so when I was reading about this stuff, like to me, it connected with me very strongly and it reminded me of that. I mean, I was thinking of you during the story, man. I would just like, just, it's a miracle that you're even here on the podcast right now. So like for, to read this car crash story is, is also really crazy. And, and, uh, I just, yeah, I was thinking about you. So, you know, what's crazy is the first time I read this book was before I was in the accident too. So that happens, that happened after. So it's kind of creepy actually. Um, because yeah, this, that, and that sets the tone for the entire book because it's about the crazy randomness of tragedy that's possible Mm -hmm. in life all the absurdity of it and like a lot of philosophers have talked about this like i know like sartre and camus and all these uh, existentialists have talked about this sort of thing and and they have different in nietzsche and they have different like ways that they feel like you know you 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 can handle it and one of them is to turn to drugs and to just try and like get every ounce of like enjoyment you can get out of life while you have it because that's what you should do in the face of absurd tragedy that can strike Mm -hmm. at any moment and some some of them live their lives that way, that sort of like you know like drug addicts and 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 what have you. Um, it, and you know, I, obviously, I'm not saying I necessarily adhere to that. Um, but this book to me kind of embodies that thinking in a sense because I feel like our narrator, that's his reaction to this this shit to double down on on drugs, and escape and trying to like escape it. So I was I was not un, I was not sure until like the second story or the, actually maybe even the third story, that all of these stories were going to be from the perspective of our of the same person. Mm-hmm. Well, he's totally unnamed for like half the book. And then only then we get the nickname, the fuckhead nickname. That's it. Yeah. And then there's also evidence, I would say, I don't have any specifics right here, but I would say that there's also evidence that sometimes it doesn't seem like the same person. Well, and it's interesting because we heard that uh, he he has said that some of this stuff is stories people told him. Oh, that was the other thing he said. So this was all, this was all, he would tell people these stories over the years mm-hmm. and people would always tell him like, you should write this stuff down. And he kept feeling like, no, no, no. I just told you it. I don't need to write it down. I don't need to write it down. And so like years went by of him just telling these stories over and over to people. 
um, until he finally sat down and like wrote it all down. Um, and he said he wrote down like several of these stories on the same day, I think is what I read, which seems crazy to me. If maybe if some of this stuff is was actually somebody else, maybe that's why it feels that way. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. The other thing is that I don't think that there's really evidence to say that this is in chronological order, any of these mm. stories. So it's like we don't really know necessarily where it's happening unless he gives us specific details about like where he's at, what age he is, or, or like yeah. like year-wise. We can't even place it sometimes. So like I don't know so, that these so are this in came, order. This came up in the interview. He said that Car Crash While Hitchhiking is the chronologically the earliest story and then the okay. final story um which i'm i'm drawing on the name of it right now but that is chronologically the last story and then he said in the in between it is roughly chronological with some changes um originally he had the entire book completely out of order um but he i think his editor pushed him to try and make it a little more chronological because he thought it would it would progress more as like an overarching story that way well that i feel like that would adhere to like the inco like how how incoherent it is if it was just all over the place anyway just just um but yeah those are just two thoughts i had let's go back to car crash real quick so at the end there's this there's this line that i just like i'm still trying to figure out what it means to me so i wanted to ask you it's uh at the end so so the wife realizes that that the husband's dead and she goes into the room with the doctor and like he talks about the screaming and how he like would be chasing that screaming for his whole life Mm. and he talks about how like there's like this this super harsh light from the 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 office that they're in or whatever but then it, it goes to him saying it was raining gigantic ferns leaned over us the forest drifted down a hill. I could hear a creek rushing down among rocks. And you, you ridiculous people, you expect me to help you. Uh, yeah, and to me that, so so this particular story, I think was sort of that, like I was talking about with the sleeping bag. He's set up as, as being in a position where he could be more heroic than he has been. Like we keep, Like we keep thinking like, okay, you're there. You're cl- clearly not hurt. So mm-hmm. your job right now in this moment is to get everybody out of the wrecks, is to like start doing CPR, is to do everything you can to help these people, right? But this guy is fucked up on drugs. He himself is like a, just a fucked up person. And clearly he's not the kind of person to do that. And we're, we're learning that about him in this moment, I think. And and I, I do love that this story is sort of told in like that, like and it, it breaks that fourth wall every now and then. And the, the narrator speaks to us, the reader. Well, I, t- I took it to be like like uh, recounting tales. Right. And then, yeah, that 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 scream, um, just to speak to that, that reminded me of the scene in Fight Club where, um, do you remember, uh, Tyler Durden threatens this guy um with death about like how he's going to come and kill him if he doesn't go to school and like chase his dreams and all that stuff. Right. Right. And then after he lets the guy go, he says that like, Oh, you know, his breakfast is going to be the best breakfast he's ever tasted tomorrow. And like all this stuff. Right. Like he's going to feel more alive than ever. Well, in this situation to me, the, the, the wife's scream is like such a powerful emotion and it's so true and it shows loss and love and everything else that to him, like, I think he's kind of in search of, like, authentic life experiences uh, throughout right. this. And so I think to that that is, like, so pure that that's what he, to me, that's what he meant when he said, like, I've been searching for that scream ever since. I like that, yeah. Well, let's move on because we got a lot of stories to get through. Okay, so for two men, this is my, my little short synopsis here. Leaving a dance, a mute man jumps in the narrator's car and they drive to multiple locations being guided by him. 
After finally dropping him off, they see another man that sold them bad cocaine and they give chase. Yeah, so this this is um a wild story. <laughs> and to me this shows like this is this is something where in story craft they talk about setting up the status quo. And to me this is the status quo we learn for his life. Like this is what like the average day looks like <laughs> for him. Right. Um he's rolling around with other addicts. They're doing crazy stuff. Uh there's a guy who may or may not actually be mute. It's, it's, you know, there's like a chase where the guy's chasing after the car and then he runs into a, a, st- a stop sign. It's wild. And then, yeah, and then he himself is threatening somebody. He's chasing somebody because they sold him bad drugs. And we could just see his life is like out of control in this moment, um, this point in his life, right? The, to me, that's what this story served. Um, I think I if I had read all of these stories not knowing they were part of a collection and just viewing them each as independent stories... I think this is one of the ones I would have liked the least because it didn't feel like, I mean, it was just kind of a slice of life, I guess, which could mm-hmm. be okay. Well, a bunch of them are like that too. A bunch of them end yeah, up being slightly I agree with life. that. Yeah. But to me, this one was like the most like that. I don't know. It just for whatever mm-hmm. reason, this was one that I wasn't like, cause I was really into that first one. This one was one of the weaker ones for me while still being very good. And obviously still having a lot of really excellent sentences and really excellent prose in there. Yeah. Um, I just, I wasn't as like compelled by this one. So this one for me was, you know, I'm I'm working through it and I'm trying to f- like understand what's going on because so far it's just been the car crash. Like this is my experience. Yeah. And this um, is the next thing you get. Yeah. This is the next thing I get. And so I'm like, what's what's going on here? Who is this new narrator? Is this? And then I'm trying to piece together if this is the same narrator. And I just felt like this entire thing was was even more than the first story, just full stream of consciousness. Like whatever's happening is happening. And it felt like a to me, it felt like what you what you think of when you're awake, what your dreams are like. Um, so it just mm. felt like a dream. Like it's like you're walking to your car and a mute man jumps in your car and then like he's telling you where to go and you're going to all these places. And then like you go into a room and they're talking about stuff that you don't really like, what does this have to do with anything else that's going on? That's how this story felt to me. It's just like, what does any of this mean? And that, that goes back to that. To me, this feels like it's, it's interesting because it almost feels like he doesn't have agency in the story, which is such a, you know, so anathema for, for what we're taught for storytelling. You want your characters to be driving the action. Right. But so much of this feels like he's being swept up by drugs. He's being swept up by the people he's with. And he gets caught up in these things and he doesn't act so often like he doesn't do anything. He's just kind of there. And then the way that the story ends, like I was trying to figure out if we had like like if this was a new narrator, like how unreliable this guy was, because clearly he was unreliable because all this crazy stuff was going on. But then at the end, he like runs in and he's like asking where this guy that he chased a guy into a house. And then he's asking where that guy is. And then the woman is saying that that guy is gone and he's in like another he's in like uh, like on vacation or something. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, so who was he even chasing? Like that was that just the drugs? That's when I started realizing like, okay, this is this is all connected by the same characters and threads. Yeah. And and honestly, it is. It's I think it is sort of uh, up to interpretation, like what is actually going on beneath all the like through all the drugs and everything, like what the actual truth is. I don't know. All right, so out on bail, the narrator drinks with Jack Hotel, and then they get fucked up. Jack dies, and the narrator lives. <laughs> yeah, and, and but, but I actually really like this story. Um, to, now, I think it was pretty short. Um, like, if it was standalone, I think it would be almost Flash. Um, mm-hmm. But I thought it was, it was excellent because it was, it was these two guys who are in very similar places in their lives, and they they it's like they're having this, like, buddy moment. They're having that, like, 
we're getting fucked up together and we're, we're enjoying life together and we're in a similar place and we're doing it for similar reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, and then they go too far, but they're both like fully in on it. Like they want to do this and they take a ton of drugs and then, um, I believe heroin, they go home and he just basically like very, you know, states it that he went home overdosed and the people he was with at the time, like woke him up and 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 saw to it. Like, I forget what they did, but they they basically saw to it that he didn't die, and and were able to keep him alive. His friend, who he was hanging out with, same thing. He went home and he uh, it was a, it was similar to something that happens in a later story, but basically he had he had his like significant other that he thought was going to be able to take care of him, and then that didn't happen, and then he died. And then, yeah, the story ends with, like, he died and I'm still alive, basically. And, and to me, that was, again, like, that absurdity, that, like, randomness in life. And, like, it very easily, like, literally flip of the coin, it could have been him. So you get the sense that he's grateful to be alive, at least. Like, he, like he's like, oh, that sucks that Jack died, but I'm alive. It's kind of what I got out of it. I didn't know if I thought grateful as I thought more, like, just stating a fact. Statement. Like, I yeah. lived. He died and I lived. Yeah. You, I think you might be right there. But for, for I think I think why I came to that conclusion was just earlier in the story they were having such a great time together being alive and like part of that like joyous occasion like the side effect of that is like somebody might die so then his friend died and he's like i think it i think it's like his friend dies and i think he's i just took it to mean like okay i'm still alive but basically what i'm trying to say is that when he when he says i'm still alive i got the sense that like he's not going to stop using he's going to continue to abuse and like tomorrow he might not be alive so it didn't change his life or anything. But yeah, I do think there's a little bit, to me, there's a little bit of survivor's guilt in there. Like, it's just another thing that for him to feel bad about. Mm-hmm. I think he almost feels bad that he's the one who survived. Right. Or he recognizes that he didn't deserve to be alive. He just happened to survive that night and the other yeah. guy didn't. Yeah. It's really interesting. I mean, like, God, like we could go through the story and just do a whole episode about it and just like <laughs> talk about everything that happens in it. There's so much there. Like, there's so much like just rich storytelling in every one of these that you could get nitty gritty and talk about lines you know you we could spend 20 minutes on you know a, a paragraph um and i kind of wish we could do that uh, you know it doesn't really fit our format so let's move yeah. on to the next one all right done done my synopsis is it's about an accident caused by drugs they shot a guy and then were too messed up to drive and then so basically they uh they're using everybody is in like this barn i believe they're using and then they uh Somebody gets shot and then they try to take him to the hospital but wreck the car and then our our narrator comes in and wants to be the hero and save the day and drive the car to the hospital and then the guy who was shot dies on the way. And man, uh, there's there's an exchange in here that I do need to read verbatim. Um, but yeah, the, the the guy who's been shot throughout, it's like they're they're trying to figure out if they need to help him and how serious is it and he seems to be okay and it's unclear and they're the two guys who are talking as our narrator and another character, both out of their minds on drugs. One of them's already, I think, already crashed his car earlier in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like it was like holding up a shed now. I think it was described um, when they so then they they have to take the you know the narrator's car, um, and they're going to take this guy to to uh, get him seen. Here, I'm going to read some of this verbatim. So they're talking to him. Do you promise not to tell them anything? Dun Dun was talking to McKinnis. So McKinnis is the guy who got shot. Dun Dun is the other guy who's with them, the other drug addict. Who did the shooting. Who did the shooting. <laughs> and uh, 
I don't think he hears you, I said. I is the narrator. Tell them it was an accident, okay? McInnes said nothing for a long moment. Finally, he said, okay. Promise? Dun-Dun said. But McInnes said nothing because he was dead. And I just, <laughs> to me, that's set up so brilliantly. So so he, spe- he speaks in the previous line. He says, he says nothing. And then he says, okay. And then Dun-Dun says promise. And then, but McInnes said nothing. So even then you still feel like he could then say something. But then the next line is because he was dead. So I just think like from a craft perspective, that was brilliantly set up to be a, like a shocking twist, like not twist, but like just a moment of like, we expected this guy to be alive. And then all of a sudden he's just not, he just dies. And then they decide that like, well, now that he's dead, we're just going to like kick him out of the car and not go, not go in. And I think that, that, that when they said from the, from the moment that they said he was dead, there was like a switch that was flipped and they were like, all right, just drop him out, like push him out of the car. I like, I, I'm kind of glad that he's dead because he gave me that fuckhead nickname and like all of these things are, are kind of pile. It just kind of was this like f- flipped moment. Um, but I have a question for you. And then I also okay. want to say a line from the story. Do you okay. think Dun Dun shot him on purpose? Because he has, we see here at the end, there's like a little epilogue type thing where it says like he like tortured so-and-so somebody for something and then he beat a man almost to death and it's like do you think that there was an argument or something that happened that caused him to shoot um the man yes i do and whether or not he intended to hit him or if he intended to shoot next to him to frighten him or something i you know i don't think it's possible to know um so i I think that's the ambiguity is like did he actually intend to shoot him or did he intend to shoot his gun at him and maybe scare him and then he accidentally hit him. Um, but either way, yeah, we see that Dun Dun is 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 yeah a violent dude. And it's interesting because the story wants us to 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 find his humanity though. And he says mm-hmm. like I can hear I can feel like you're not gonna you don't like him from the way I'm describing him, but he was actually a good dude. Like <laughs> he's kind of telling us. Um, and that just underlines everything about this this book. It's like everybody we meet, no matter how reprehensible the shit they're doing, um, this this book tries to find their humanity and, and it's, yeah, it's like nobody is a villain in this book, right? They're all just people. Yeah. And there's this line here that I wanted to read. That's talking about just that. So our, the narrator says, um, basically to set it up, he's saying like, yeah, Dun Dun is like a messed up guy. And then he goes on to say, but moving around a, a soldering iron in your brain will change you too. So basically saying like what the drugs have done to his brain is just like right. taking a soldering iron and shove it in there and mess up, mess up some of your, <laughs> yeah. some of your components. For sure. Yeah. And, and that goes back to what you were talking about with this whole martyr idea, right? Cause I feel like every one of these stories is showing, is showing our main characters like sinning and, and living a life of, you know, depravity right um and yeah you're i like that though like it's like it's a compounding and showing us that he's that he's done a lot of terrible things and been around a lot of terrible things yeah and then i think the question that comes up continuously is like forgiveness from that it's like can these characters be forgiven can dundun be forgiven for killing that guy can can our narrator be forgiven for yeah you know a number does of he things? deserve to be forgiven yeah. yeah okay so the next one is work our narrator and a friend strip an, strip a house of old copper for money. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's your, yeah. Uh, I, this story was really cool to me. Um, it's, yeah, it's him and this, him and this guy and they go out and they, they strip this house that's in, it's like a, it's almost like a ruin. It's all these, it's like a housing subdivision that went up and then it flooded. And so all the houses got abandoned and they're just like these leftover husks of homes. 
and they're out there and they're in this house stripping it of wire and our narrator asks him he says you know whose house do you think this was and the guy says it's mine <laughs> um and so we come to find out that like apparently he had bought this or who knows and then there's this crazy moment where they're working and then all of a sudden a woman like they hear a sound of a boat and they look out the window and they see this boat coming down like a like a canal or something and there's a woman on a kite and she's completely nude and they just like fly by and there's this really funny moment where they're like what's she doing up there and then they're like but it was obvious she was flying <laughs> yeah um i don't know so so surreal right and then so then after that they they leave the house and they're going they're going to go with their money and they stop along the way at this like random house out on the side of the road and they go in and our narrator realizes that this is the wife of the man he's with and he has this another awesome moment where he says, it was like I had stumbled into his dream. Like mm-hmm. I was in his dream about his life with his house and his, his like ex-wife and, and all honestly, this stuff. And honestly, I thought that like the drugs were doing that to him. I thought that like he was somehow like, like his, his trip or his like, like his high that he had was like putting him into somebody's dream. And we were getting that crazy perspective because how else is the, is she, how is she on a kite? Yeah. There, it was a very melancholy and sad story um but i i really loved this one i um, actually felt like we had some happiness in here um for a very yeah specific it, was, reason. it was you said it was a happy moment i like the, the the work aspect of it right so these are these are people who are running around like you said their life is chaos they're constantly doing things that like to society is just like anti-society basically yeah. they're just stealing from people yeah yeah so so to see this moment of them like going and doing like hard labor and our narrator like huffing and puffing and he's like dying he needs water and they're really like working and putting in like a kind of an honest day's work even though it's clearly right. not well i mean it's called work for a reason too because i think you're i think you're right on yeah so so they're at the end they're able to they they like basically like you know they're constantly living with like this guilt of like what because they're not like i said they're anti-society so they're not doing what society would have them do if if given the opportunity so like they're using drugs that are illegal they're they're stealing from people they're doing all these things but this day after this hard day of work they felt like they earned whatever they were going into so like they earned their drinking they earned their potentially drugs and i thought that was interesting because it's like it's kind of like an addict seeing like the light through the trees and seeing like maybe I could have made a go at this or maybe I still can and like just like well, have an honest workers mentality if I could just get away from this drug. Yeah, and that's a whole like line of 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 philosoph- you know philosophical thought about that too. Sisyphus pushing the rock and you have to imagine that he was happy. Mm-hmm. Um and and so you can be happy in labor and in, in the thing you're doing. Um, and yeah, so I think that there is, there is definitely something about that. I, something this, this started bringing up to me and was starting to really solidify in my mind as we were reading is how fucked up our main character's views are on women and the women that he's with. And because to me, he, he always treats them like they are there to save him. He treats them like they're otherworldly creatures, um, often comparing them to like divine figures right um or 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 like mothers mothers to him um he yeah he's he he really i mean and like it fits the character and because this is a character who wants to be saved and i think he he goes into almost every relationship he has like looking to be saved from someone or or by someone um and so it's always doomed to fail because often the people he's with are just as fucked up as he is right Okay, so the next one is Emergency, and I think you're going to read the synopsis for this one, right? Well, I don't have a synopsis, but I, I just know the story really well. So this is, I believe, the most famous story from this from this book. 
Um, it's definitely the one I've read the most. And uh, yeah, so basically we got Fuckhead and he has uh, another orderly named Georgie. Uh, hey, you know, it's like episode one all over again. I know. I thought um, of that. <laughs> and they're working. There are these two guys and they're working in like an um, uh, at a hospital. They're orderlies and they're both just out of their minds on drugs, especially well, Georgie at first. And then our, our, our main character gets some from him. And uh, Georgie's like cleaning up blood that's not there anymore. And he's just out of his mind. And then this guy comes in with a hunting knife stuck through his eye all the way to the hilt. And he just walks in and they're like, how did you get here? And he's like, oh, I walked over. And he's totally calm. And they bring him back and they're, and they're like, and they're like, well, we need to get you like sitting down. And he's like, I think I'd be ready for something like that. <laughs> I don't know. He's just, it's so, it, this is something that's just genuinely funny and crazy. Mm-hmm. And then like in a dark way, obviously. And then they're like, they're, they're like, they, they buzz the doctor and they're like, oh, we got a surprise for you. And you know, exam room, whatever. And uh, he shows up and then he like freaks out and he's like, we're going to get the best damn brain doctor. We're going to get, and they're having this conversation in the other room and they tell the orderly to go like prep him and get him cleaned while they're like talking about it. And they're talking about uh, like, oh, they're going to get the best gas man to come in. And like, the guy's like going crazy because he's way, he's in way over his head. He doesn't know what to do. Right. And then uh, Georgie comes walking into the room and he's just holding the knife. (laughs) And it's so like, it's so absurdly funny to me and crazy i don't know that that was to me laugh out loud funny um in a, in a really dark way i don't know it just i think maybe because i've read the story enough times I, the first time i think i was just shocked but um did that how did that part play for you well i mean i i thought it was hilarious i loved it too um the part yeah. the, the thing that kills me is that i uh like i with and that's something i should say honestly with this story i found myself rereading so many times to try to really understand what was being said and yeah. and like because it's so all over the place sometimes. Well, and I told uh, you for this one, I was like specifically, I told you to get the physical copy and not to do the audiobook right. because I think that that is the way to read this, yeah. where you can really go back and and digest these things. Yeah, and so like I so when he first co- came out, I was trying to understand if the guy had pulled the knife out on his own or if Georgie had done it. And then so once I realized Georgie had done it, I that was it was really funny to me. Um, and then, but this story is like, this is, I think this is my favorite story from this because it has, I think it's like the, the perfect, like, um, the perfect meld of like all the different stories in one, because we get this crazy absurdness that goes on and it's like, kind of like how that guy shouldn't even be alive anymore. So it's like the surreal absurdist stuff. And then we, and then we get this other story where they leave. But, But then, but then she says like. She's like the nurse keeps saying like it's one of those things because like we've all heard about stuff like this actually happening. Right. Like those crazy medical stories of people who are just fine from some ridiculous injury. Yeah. Right. And like the guy doesn't even like lose his eye somehow. Right. Like he can still see out of it. Yeah. So then they leave. Right. Yeah. So they leave. They go driving out and I forget where they're going, but they hit um, a rabbit. And uh, he's like, what was that? And he's like, oh, it's a rabbit. And they pull over and he's like. We'll, we'll we'll like he's like we'll cook it and we'll feast on its haunches and we'll breakfast on it in the morn or something like that and then um yeah they find the rabbit it's it's was pregnant and so it's full of all these baby rabbits and mm-hmm. then this like other car drives up and they're like is that a snake and he's like no it's a rabbit it's got babies and then like that other car just like there's like a full family they just all drive off and then yeah he gives it over to to fuckhead and he's like here you hold them we got to go we got to get them milk we got to get them sugar he's like we killed the mother but we're gonna save the babies. And Georgie's all excited again. And so we see Georgie like behaving really 
I think it's really fascinating to think about how Georgie is behaving versus how our main character is. For sure. And so then they go and they get stuck in like a blizzard, not a blizzard, like a snowstorm. And they're at, they end up being at a drive-in. They walk to a drive-in and they, he has this hallucination where he feels like he's in a graveyard and he's seeing angels, but he's actually in this drive-in. And then come to find out, um, the he just like sat on all the babies and squished them because he forgot about them, essentially. <laughs> Um, which is great. Like, I, I just want to know, like, what you were thinking throughout this story. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to say. Like, it was so it's that's this is like the Lynchian stuff. Like, I was like, yeah. I was like, I can't predict anywhere that any of this is going in any way. Right. And it was just like, it was just like, what does this mean? What is this for? So like going right. back and trying to find meaning, like, what does a rabbit have to do with like what's going on here? And like the drive in theater, I was like, what the theater It's like the graveyard and and like it's just so much. Oh, so we also see Georgie. Uh, he has this hunting knife now. He calls it his hunting knife. Yeah. He doesn't know where he got it. Um, and then at the end, uh, we see we see the the guy who came in with the knife is he's getting checked out, and he meets Georgie, and Georgie doesn't even know who he is. He's like, "Who are you supposed to be?" <laughs> so the story ends with them picking up uh, like a hitchhiker who they knew, and they're gonna take he's who's AWOL from the war, and mm-hmm. they're gonna take him to Canada. But he the guy asks. Georgie, what do you do for a job? And Georgie says, I save lives, which is where the story ends. So uh, my question and the things that I was thinking about is just Georgie as a character and like what this means. Because he kind of talks about at one point, he's like when they were like taking the babies out, he's like, I should have been a doctor. I should have been a surgeon or whatever. And like, is is he just insanely lucky or is this a commentary on like, is he like some is he like a genius or like not necessarily genius, but is he just like so like he's he could have had all like the things that he could have been if he wasn't an act the things that he could have done or is he just incredibly lucky all throughout i think he's deluded uh, a little bit in thinking that he could do these things i know i don't think he would make a good doctor <laughs> but do you, what i'm saying do you think that the the commentary is that is that like if he wasn't maybe he could have done these things maybe what what i do think is going on is that georgie genuinely wants to be a better person in this moment he wants to be heroic. He wants to save the rabbits. And maybe he's super fucked up, just like our main character, in like almost every single way, right? Like they're they're very close. And he says there's one major difference between us. And I think at this point in the story, at least, our main character has not yet decided he wants to be a better person. But I think Georgie does. Mm-hmm. And I think that, and maybe, and maybe that's like a lesson here that he learns, or that maybe, maybe we start to see that rub off on him throughout the rest of the book. Um, because yeah, I think that's, to me, that's the key difference is that Georgie, I, to me, Georgie wants to do the right thing. He's totally fucked up and he's, he, he's on drugs and he's messing things up and doing things the wrong way. And, um, but yeah, I think he, at, I think he ultimately has a good heart and he wants to help and he wants to do the right thing and he wants to be heroic. Um, and that's not something we've really gotten out of our main character. Yeah. So back to sort of the absurdity of life and trying to find meaning, right? Um, to me, the rabbit is sort of like a microcosm of that because it's this random tragedy that happens and we immediately see Georgie trying to find meaning. And the first thing he does is he tries to find meaning in sort of like the natural order. Like mm-hmm. I have I have slain this rabbit and now I'm going to eat it and it's going to sustain me and it's going to be this like like a hunter you know, or like a predator in, in the, in the, in the wild, it's going to be natural. Right. But then when he sees it has babies, it, it shifts. And now he's going to save the babies and let the mother die. And then that is sort of like, like a doctor, like you said, like, you know, and so for me, this is Georgie, like actively trying to do it. And he, and he sort of enlists our narrator and he says, you're going to help me in this. We're going to do this together. 
And and once again, our narrator's just kind of along for the ride, and he's like, okay, yeah, I'll do it. But then he ends up fucking it up, and Georgie yells at him, and he's like, everything you touch goes to shit. Like, like why do you fuck everything up? Like, mm-hmm. fuckhead's a good name for you. And he gets right. mad at him, right? Yeah. And and our narrator's like, yeah, it's true. He's like, I'm not arguing with you. I agree with you. He's like, he says, like, I agreed with you before you even said that. Like, I preemptively agreed with you. <laughs> um, and so that's kind of how our narrator is. Like, he feels like he is beyond forgiveness, and he's not a good person. Like I said before, I feel like I need to reread this story already because of a couple of details that I have now. Um, not this story, this entire book, because I, I, when I was reading it, I wasn't thinking of it chronologically. So I thought this is a random moment in time. So right. to think of it as like, this is the, the moment where maybe we see a turn in our, in our main character to him being more compassionate. I'm not 100% sure that like every story after this definitely comes after this. But I do think it falls on a timeline in which maybe this is a turning point for him. Maybe. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. And so I saw it more as a standalone turning point. Like it's like a moment where he realized like he should be good. And he's, he's like, he, yeah. I think he like, he sees Georgie as like this beacon. Like he's clearly like wanting to be a good person, wanting to do the right thing. And I think that the drugs for both of them, because how much, how much easier would it be for Georgie to be a better person if he wasn't on the drugs? I think it's just continuously making it so that our characters are realizing that like if they were able to get off the drugs, but then again, I don't see any sort of any sort of want in, in them to get clean in this story, at least. I don't think they've yet connected drugs to the problems of their lives. I think that's something that early on and, and through much of the story, drugs are just another avenue for them to escape. And right. um, I don't think they, yeah, I, I, it's interesting because like the idea of him at some point, he just is in rehab. I think and 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 I think this to me is like the only thing that makes me think like I can see why maybe he goes that route or the yeah. work the work story maybe um but yeah we don't get those exact thoughts like now I'm going to go to rehab for this reason we never get that but yeah let's move on we got more stories to get through okay so the next one is dirty wedding uh the narrator likes to ride trains he tells three stories about people uh one about taking his girlfriend for an abortion the other about a man in a laundromat and finally he meets a girl on the train who takes him to find drugs yeah so this is a really dark story um you know it leads off with him taking his girlfriend to get an abortion and to me this is like because we just had this sort of high high point and like i said like this to me this is the complete opposite direction Mm -hmm. um and you know maybe maybe he's saying something about life being messy in that way too like there are no like in our lives it isn't just like an arc that you can trace it is more up and down and because we here we see to me he's almost at one of his most reprehensible moments here with how he's behaving and how and how how little responsibility he's taking for anything well and there's like a couple of different stories going on in this story and the abortion clearly is the one that that is the i think the most important to this story but there's also like his suppressed sexuality that we're getting a touch of and we're also getting like maybe I wasn't clear about that. Yeah, because there's a moment where he has like an erection when he's when he's followed this guy to a place, and but but then but then the guy he also seems like he looks like Jesus or he feels like he's Jesus. I yeah, I think he's just saying like Jesus on the cross type thing. Like like yeah, there's something about like religion there again. But uh, there's a moment where he like takes his shirt off. I think that triggers the erection in him. So like that's like why he followed this guy because he's like realizing like his because he he's surprised by his attraction to this guy. And then we get a little bit of it later too. But that that one is like I think that was planting the seeds for a later story. But it's just interesting to me that in this story about abortion, we're also getting something potentially about his sexuality. 
Um, yeah. But we go into this portion where I, I, what I, what I saw was like due to grief, uh, potentially the abortion, and then other life choices. Uh, his his girlfriend or his wife, I think it's his girlfriend at this point. She ends up with another guy, and then and then yep. she 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 overdoses and like leaves him a note on his pillow. But then he's just as, he's just as fucked up as she is, which is that's a recurring thing in this book, like right. looking for help from someone who's in, who's just as and just as bad a situation as you are. And yeah. maybe that's saying something about addiction being selfish too. There's something about like using in general, maybe not necessarily the addiction side to it. You're you're looking out for yourself. And maybe it's like even in car crash where he saves the baby, that was like a rare moment, but then he just goes to the semi and sits in the semi instead of continuing to help. Well, he doesn't even know why he has the baby. He's like, I don't, he doesn't even know why. He's like, I, he just has it. Right. Um. And so, yeah, yeah, I like that. And, and I think there's something about like, these people trying to rely on each other and then the tragedy being that like they are unable to provide anyone else with anything when they're so caught up in their own shit and their own like yeah like you said like sort of like selfish addictions and like their own lives and they're just trying to find their own ways and then when someone tries to rely on them like we see so many characters letting people down in this book right like left and right Mm -hmm. and it leads to people dying like it's tragic yeah we get the thing at the end where our narrator's talking about abortion and he's talking about what what it, kind of like what scientists and people will argue about like when the baby is alive um and kind of the, his argument is is that um it's not necessarily about like like basically that's wasted time in talking about like when the baby is alive it's just like the effect that either having or not having that baby is going to have on on the the baby and also their lives. Yeah, so I'm going to read I'm going to read that paragraph because I think it's I think there's a lot going on there. Here's the final paragraph of this one where where we've learned that the girlfriend died from overdose and then we also learned that the new boyfriend ends up committing suicide, um which I think also shows cuz like the whole time he's been talking about how much he loved his girlfriend, but when she dies, it's the new boyfriend that ends up killing himself basically out of grief. Yeah. Not him. So once again, it's like he isn't quite there. Like he isn't quite, I don't know, like he's he's less than somebody else, right? Like we see mm-hmm. often happen again. Anyway, so here's the final paragraph where he's talking about the abortion in particular. I know they argue about whether or not it's right, whether or not the baby is alive at this point or at that point in its growth inside the womb. This wasn't about that. It wasn't what the lawyers did. It wasn't what the doctors did. It wasn't what the woman did. It was what the mother and father did together. I don't know that he's trying to make any statements about abortion here to me. To me, this is like him saying, I don't know about all that, but this story isn't about that. It's about the mother and father and what they did together. So like uh, the whole, like creating the baby and going through with everything that happened in their lives and putting themselves in a situation where this was their lives. And that I think is like, that's the point of the story. Not necessarily like trying to get into it. And it's interesting though, because there is a moment in the story too, where he talks about like the ghost of the unborn child. He could feel like in the, like around him or something. It's like a surreal moment too. So yeah, I mean, it's interesting because this is this is a couple stories in here where like this is an extremely loaded topic, right? And this is going to be a very, you know, people, whoever you are listening to this now, you have an opinion about this and you probably very strongly held. Um, and, and I, you know, and 
I don't know what's right. You know what I mean? Like, who knows? We, I have my own opinions about it, but I don't know if they're right. And I think that's what, what Dennis Johnson is saying here. Like, he's like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm right or, or what or who's right in this discussion. But this story I'm telling you is more about us as people than it is about the abortion itself, mm-hmm. I guess. And what maybe it's like what led to it. And I think he's saying, like, what happened after. Okay, so the next one is the other man. The narrator meets a traveling man, and only after hanging out uh, does he find out that he lied about being Polish originally, and then he finds out that this guy's actually from Cleveland. He's like a traveling salesman or something like that. And then he, the story moves to Seattle where he's going to meet friends, and then he... So he, meet, he meets him on the Sound, which is, in, which is the like body of water in Seattle. Okay. Um, and then they go... They're like on a ferry or something, and then they go into town. And they go to a bar called Kelly's and they have drinks together. Right. Continue. So so then after after that story is done and basically what he doesn't realize is that in the moment he doesn't realize that this guy's actually like making a pass at him, like trying to come on to him. And yeah. and he doesn't realize this, but the way he describes it is like, I, I would tell people this story later and they would tell me like, clearly this guy was trying to come on to you and you didn't under, you didn't realize that, which again, we'll talk about that. But uh, he then he talks about how he's trying to meet friends in, in Seattle and he's he's not able to meet up with them. So then he goes to a bar and he meets a girl and ends up like hooking up with her and having this interesting. Or that's when he goes to Kelly's. Actually, that's that's when he goes to Kelly's. The other one was a different bar. I forget. I don't know what it was named. Yeah, so he meets a girl, and then they 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 she's she's married, but then they end up going back to her place anyway, and like hooking up, and like lying or something, and saying that he's like related. But it's also like this really kind of again, it's talked about as like this really magical way where he says, um, he says the torn moon mended, and our our fingers touched away the tears, and he says it was there, which I thought was also really like kind of ambiguous, like what was there. I think that 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 to me was them having sex. Like that was them like like all of those things like pointed me to like them having sex. But maybe that I don't know, did you get something different? Well I think it's more than that because to me a lot of these these random hookups and stuff, it's like these two broken people, like and he she finds out that she had just gotten married like a few days before and clearly this is a fucked up situation and she's like in her got her own issues. And it just, and like the way that they're like talking about like tears and their sort of like um, attraction to each other, um, I don't know. There's something sort of like almost like chemistry, like a, like a reaction happening. And then when they're when they're together, it's like a really powerful and and fleeting moment that they both know is fleeting. Yet there's like a certain they can come together and like ha- share a moment and and feel alive and. And maybe feel a little bit better just for a short amount of time. And and that also shows to me how a lot of his romantic relationships are, are much like drugs to him, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Right. But I wanted to back up a little bit. So we went to Seattle last time you were here. Mm-hmm. Um, and we hung out on St. Patrick's Day at a bar in Seattle. And I almost like I want to say that bar was called Kelly's. Really? It was like a Irish bar. Do you remember? I remember the bar. I, I just don't remember the name of it. I'm like picturing it and I swear to God it was called Kelly's. It might not be. I might be completely wrong. But when I read this story, I was like, holy shit, it's the same place. That's so awesome. I, I felt like it was the same place, which I thought was pretty crazy. Because we literally I, dude, spent St. Patrick's, Patrick's Day like at the bar getting like we were drinking like Irish whiskey. We talked to some random dude like yeah. uh, my sister was here, too. And like it was it was this crazy night. And I, when I was reading the story, I totally thought of it. Yeah, that it was a fun night. How crazy would it be? If that it was would be the crazy. Same place. If it was the same place. <laughs> that would be insane. We got to figure that out. 
Uh, <laughs> we got to look that but up. But <laughs> I wanted, so I also wanted to jump back for the story really quickly because I wanted to talk about something that I thought was really great with the form of, of or like, like just the, the planning of the story, even though it seems like it's not planned. Um, there's, a, there's a story earlier on that we read. I think it's the fourth one or the third one called Two Men. And it's only, right. and it's about the, the mute man. And the way that the story ends, it, it like kind of just like, just like abruptly ends and we only ever hear about one man and the way that this story starts it's this story is called the other man and the way that this story starts is he's like but he's he finished the story that was before this so there's been like three or four in between and he's mm-hmm. like but let me, i haven't finished telling you about the other about the two men i've only told you about the first one and then so he starts the story off by talking about the guy who was coming on to him that was saying that he was polish but he was from cleveland which also was like crazy and, and funny. Like he was like, I loved, he had this, all these crazy stories about Poland he was telling. And then he goes to the bathroom and then he comes back out and he's like, ah, oh, man, I'm just from Cleveland. <laughs> did you see that? Like, did you see that coming at all? Like I took no a totally face no, value. No like I thought this guy was, was legit. No, I thought, yeah, I agree. I thought it was legit. And I also didn't realize until he said anything about it, about the coming on to him thing. So what what does that mean for the story? That's that's my question. Because the sexuality was brought up right before this. And then and then it seems that like he's like maybe repressing, like he's he's actively not seeing signs of somebody coming on to him. Is that just his obliviousness or is that him like actively not engaging with something that he might see subliminally or something or maybe like in the back of his mind? I think he has trouble differentiating between romantic interest and just like human interest. And he has trouble in his own life with that. Whenever he meets a woman, I think he, he, if he's ever interested in a woman, he is then like also immediately romantically interested in the woman, right? Like he can't differentiate with the two. And so for here, I remember he, he was very interested in this guy who was from Poland and he had this new rental car and he was out and he was enjoying his life. And he was like, I just really wanted to be him. And he, he was just really attracted to this guy's humanity. And so I think when he saw what that kind of being reflected and the other guy was like giving it back to him, he didn't realize that this guy was seeing something romantic in my opinion. Um, because he, he I, I think he has difficulty differentiating what those two things look like. Um, and, and I don't know, like you keep saying repressed sexuality and maybe, you know, I, I think there's definitely a way you can read this book and see that. Um, I guess it just, that what didn't occur to me that it was happening that way, but maybe it is. Yeah. I don't know. You ready for happy hour? Yes. Let's do happy hour next. So my, my synopsis here is the narrator recounts going to happy hours and then takes drugs with a belly dancer who he likes. Yeah. (laughs) So this is on the, uh, there's a really interesting moment where he goes to a library and he feels sort of like crushed by all these words around him right and so this was me going like oh this character i was like this is this is a version of dennis johnson who isn't a writer and who dennis johnson when he was having a lot of these same struggles turned to writing and found meaning through that and was able to describe his world through through his language um, and then I quickly abandoned that because we later see the character saying he's a writer. <laughs> um, but in this moment, it, it made me feel that way. And maybe, maybe this is a point in his life where he hadn't decided to become a writer yet. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but to me, like, if you think of writing as just another one of those things where he's like looking for meaning and maybe that's something that sort of saved him and pulled him out of this was like his own art which I think is interesting to think about. I didn't know his his backstory when I was reading it, but I totally see that now. Like he, it definitely seems to be something that 
like I, I mean I don't know when he started writing but clearly he he became a successful writer after de- after dealing with addiction or something like that like that has to you have to pour yourself into something in order to avoid the addiction so I think it's got to have been writing so he said that during his addiction addiction which was like his entire 20s mm-hmm. um he he published um I think he said like 20 or 30 poems and uh, and, uh, and a handful of short stories um so that's not nothing. Right. Um, so he was publishing, but he said over the course of 10 years, that was all he did. So he didn't feel like that was a lot. And then as soon as he got clean, he went on to have like the most pro- prolific time of his career. He wrote he wrote this book. Um, he, you know, wrote his, his one that went on to win the awards. He wrote plays and stuff. So um, I think he does feel like his addiction was definitely keeping him from being creative. Right. So the next one's Steady Hands at Seattle General. The story here is the narrator is in a detox center talking to another man about the future. Yeah, so this is what I was talking about. He's just all of a sudden he's in he's in rehab now, and I think at the end of the last uh, story he's like taking taking a pill of like mushrooms or something, right? So he's doing more drugs. So um, I have a question so, though. I, I yeah. I'm not familiar enough to know, but is detox is that full on rehab or is that just like oh. to to keep you from from like is that like you have to get off like you have to wean your body off of it because like your body needs certain chemicals. I don't know. Um, I, I definitely don't know the difference between all of those. It may be exactly what you said. Um, I don't know. But it does remind me that this story, it's very clear that he has ju- he's like just doing this for the first time. And But what's cool is that, or what was interesting was that he liked it. He was like, I really like this place. Yeah. They give me like really good drugs and I feel really good here. And like he was happy, right? right? Um, and he's talking to this guy and they have this awesome conversation where, he's, where he says, um, I'm going to write about this in a, in a poem or a story how should I describe you? Yeah. The guy's like, I'm fat. And he's like, well, no, no, I'm going to write about this. Tell me how you want me to describe it. And he's like, just say I'm fat. No, no, no. Like, he says, right, well, he I'm says, to describe you that way. And then like, you're reading, go ahead. He's like, no, he, he's like, um, at first he says he's fat and then he's like, but I'm going to write about you in the story or whatever. And he's like, then say I'm overweight. <laughs> yeah. And, and I just love it. Cause it's like, we're reading that. So it's it's it just feels so right, right? Like like he really had this conversation with this guy, and he just put it in there verbatim. Like this is the conversation we had about it. Yeah. And then um and then I love this. He's 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 is he, I forget is he like shaving this guy? I forget exactly what he shaves doing. a mustache at one point. Yeah. He's like shaving his mustache or something, and he sees that the guy has like a a bullet hole through one cheek, and then like an exit wound in the other cheek that's like bigger. And then we find out this guy's been shot like multiple times by his wives over the years. And um, he's like not as enthused about being here. And he's like, yeah, man, I've been here. I'm older than you. I've been here a bunch of times. You know, I'm, it's fucked up. And then I took a picture of, of uh, the end of this, this story and I put it on our Instagram. And it's because I absolutely love the way it ends. I'll back up a little bit and give you a little more, more on this on the Instagram. Here we go. This is the end of that story when they're just talking about whether or not they're going to be okay. I could see you living here two weeks out of every month. Well, I'm older than you are. You can take a couple more rides on this wheel and still get out of here with all your arms and legs stuck on right. Not me. Hey, you're doing fine. Talking to here. Talking to your bullet hole? Talking to my bullet hole. Tell me I'm fine. So I just love that exchange. Um, <laughs> talking to my bullet hole. Um, it was, it's, 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 like, uh, this, it's like an older version of himself, right? Yeah. Um, who's, who's maybe not... Like it's it's like is this the first moment where you've met somebody who like maybe is more pessimistic about life than our char- than our main character? Because <laughs> up until now he has always been like the m- most fucked up, most 
pessimistic person in the room, I feel like. Yeah, and I think this is our main character if he doesn't get clean. Like, I think that that's right. that path. Like, he maybe this is a moment where he realizes, like, this guy is this way, and it's, like, a motivational thing for him for him going forward to, to be clean. So what's also great about it is that the bullet hole is a scar, and it's proof of some... It's, like, the, it's like the leftover thing about something that happened in his life. And even if you move on, even if this guy moves on in his life, like he's always going to have that scar. And I think that's what he's saying when he says, speak, you know, t- tell me, speak into my bullet hole or whatever. Cause like, he's always going to have this now. Um, and so just the idea of that, like, I think that's true. It's like, as much as, 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 as our main character is trying to move on from his sins, like he's not going to be able to ever fully move on from them. Like there's things that, you can't escape like it's it is your past now and then so so in some senses it's like it's been written and it can't be unwritten right i guess well and it's also like he says like you're gonna be okay and he's like speaking to my bullet hole and it's like i think that's his way of saying like i'm already not okay like like it's not like i can like become this is proof that i'm not okay Yeah. yeah so this is the last one here and it's beverly home the narrator works in a care facility and pe- and he peeps in on a Mennonite couple on his way to work each day. He's also working on being sober and finds a community with others. Yeah. So this this yeah, this story takes a takes a turn here. I totally wasn't f- f- seeing coming. I, I felt like he was really having a good he was doing well. He's working at this place and his he goes around, I don't know if it's his job, but part of the thing he does there is he touches people, mm-hmm. which at first sounded creepy to me, but then it's like it actually I think is really sweet almost. Yeah. It's These very people who just like don't get human contact. And he just like, you know, touch their arms, like rub their hair or whatever. And they all really enjoy it. And it's like he's giving like contact to people. I love that he is like working somewhere with all these people who are cast out of society, whether they're elderly or they're crippled or they have some sort of problem. Um, at one point, there's a character who has um, like cerebral palsy. And he says that like he's openly and honestly like fucked up now. He can't hide it anymore. Like the rest of us, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's interesting. It's almost like he's saying, like, I am like that on the inside, but this guy is like that on the outside. Yeah, and he's he's in his own words referring to all these people as weirdos. So and he yeah. like he sees, including himself, including yeah. himself. Yeah. So he sees himself like becoming a part of this community and, and finding like a place where he belongs. And uh, is is it doesn't he end up like hooking up with a woman who has some sort of stroke or something? Or, He's or with like, two different women in the in this story. The first one is a woman who has dwarfism, and um, he's dating her for a while. And it seems like there's like he's really intimate with her. Yet there's this thing where they like they can't like have sex with, without like certain TV shows playing in the background. And then he's always gone in the morning before she wakes up or something. Yeah. Because it, it seems like he's like afraid of some sort of intimacy with her. Like he can't quite get to that point. Right. Um, for whatever reason, I, I I don't know, and then um, then yeah, later on in the story, he ends up with a uh, uh, a girl who's paralyzed, like half of her body's paralyzed, mm-hmm. and that's like like one of his most intense relationships he has. Right, and um, I you know obviously there's a lot of thematic stuff here. He's, he he calls her crippled, and um, and I think he's comparing her at kind of exterior, you know, her uh being half paralyzed to him like he feels like he's crippled on the inside right like he this is this is a guy who feels like he's broken um and then yeah so what's going on throughout all of this and his his personal growth and, he, and he's getting better 
is that he's also stopping every day and he at first he hears singing and he goes over and he like looks in somebody's bathroom window and sees a woman naked showering and just like peeps at her and then he decides he's gonna come back and do that again like every day and then the husband comes home and then he like gets away right and then he starts doing this every day and it becomes a habit and he keeps seeing her you know showering and then he starts watching them together and he finds out that they're some sort of um very traditional religious couple uh, Mennonite he believes and uh, then he starts he becomes like obsessed with catching them having sex like he needs to see them have sex and then literally there's a point where he thinks that they're he thinks that they are having sex but then it, it seems like maybe they weren't they were actually having an argument which I thought was interesting too right like that kind of means something too mm-hmm. and then um, the husband washes her feet and um, at the, in the final oh and then she also like throws open the blinds and he's standing there but then she doesn't see him because um, she can only see her own reflection. Um, so that all, to me, feels like super heavy, loaded, symbolic stuff is going on. <laughs> For sure. Um, and I'm, I I still feel like I'm trying to figure it all out. So I, I definitely wanted to know, like, what, what what was going on there to you? I think it has something to do with the, the uh, religious aspect, obviously. Um, yeah. I think that he is, like, there's some representation here that I don't know that I can really make. I don't know if I have the knowledge to back it up. But I think, like, there's some sort of... Um, yeah, like he he represents something like by staring in at, at their relationship and and he's like really he's like almost like violently wanting to see them have sex. And so it's like, is that yeah. like some sort well, of he like, even mentions at one point imagining himself raping her. Yeah. Which and was great, which was and, crazy. And then when they're yeah. having when they're like having their argument, he thinks they're having sex and he wants to like bust the window so he can see because he feels like he's being cheated. And so I think right. that it's like this really intense like. I don't know if it's like a devil or like demonic symbolism or something, but I, again, I don't, I don't really have the background to, to make this argument, but I think there's definitely something there. Yeah. So I, to me, just from the character, it's to me, this is proof of like his bullet hole, right? Like he is scarred by the things that have happened to him. Right. And this is proof that he's still broken, even as he's in the process of healing. Um, and that's why they say like, well, you know, you're always when you're an alcoholic you're always an alcoholic you're just an alcoholic who's in recovery Mm -hmm. um and to me that's that's the thing like he could always backslide and this is kind of kind of him backsliding um he's at a meeting at one point actually and a guy says that he he used to just walk around and he would like look in houses and he'd think about people's normal lives in there while he's just like carrying his sins behind him in like a wagon or something and then that like upsets our 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 narrator so much that he has to leave and like go outside and and he's like dumbstruck by it Um, and i think that's saying that like he recognizes that this is kind of what he's doing in this moment and it's like something about the something about this couple's life is so he can't understand it and they have found peace through their belief in god but then also they seem they seem like so normal and um, he like has to see them like fuck because I think that that would show that they're human and not just like some sort of like otherworldly creature, which is kind of what he like views them as like some otherworldly beings. And I think that there's something there about like the purity of, of like abs, I don't know if it's abstinence or like, like maybe, but like just the act of, of in his eyes, the act of having sex is like somewhat, like dirty or or like yeah. or like there's something about it and he wants to see this couple who is like pure potential like in his eyes like do something filthy or dirty so right like he wants to, he wants to like drag them down to his level in some way 
Yeah. And then, yeah, when she throws open the blinds and they're like face to face <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, shit, this is the moment. Um, but he, she doesn't see him mm-hmm. and um, she see, she only sees her own reflection and she's like upset. And um, it was very kind of theatrical, like she was kind of putting on a show for her husband to come and apologize. Um, but yeah, the and then he just stands there like he's like shocked, like he can't move and he's just looking at her. Um, and then the idea that like he's in the he's in darkness mm-hmm. and she literally can't see him, I felt like that I don't know that means something to me about like people like that or that part of society like not understanding, and and there's like a divide between that and and the other side of society the people who are struggling and people who are in his situation and how there is sort of a disconnect there and the two can't really see each other or can't see each other in a healthy way i guess right. i don't know yeah trying to just like figure out what that could possibly no, mean. I that's just you, all yeah. out of my ass i don't know <laughs> it's all just like so inter- <laughs> it's so hard to to interpret it. it it's like you could you could draw so many things from it and that's the other thing i'm sure there is a ton of like literary writing and academic papers and you know phd theses that have been written about this book um out there and i didn't read any of them on purpose because i wanted to give i wanted to give my personal reaction to this like um, it had been a long time since I'd read it, and a lot of these stories were just vague memories, um, other than like Emergency and, and Car Crash. There was a couple that I remembered really, really, really well, but most of them I didn't. Um, so yeah, this was just kind of like my my reaction and your reaction. Like this is just what you thought, and um, yeah, I didn't want that to be completely influenced by all these other things that have been written about this book because there's a lot out there, and I think this is a highly interpretive text, in my opinion. So I, I think it's. You could very well read this book and get a lot of different stuff out of it than than what we got. For sure. Yeah, I mean, this was this was such a fun experience, and like, I honestly, genuinely think that I'm gonna go out of my way to to read a lot of stuff, a lot more stuff like this because it's just unlike anything else. Yeah. If you if you the listener, if you have any recommendations, like so obviously since we really enjoyed this, if you have any books that you know that you would feel like are in the same realm as this definitely send them our way and especially if they have an adaptation because that's kind of a requirement um (laughs) we need that um as an excuse to read them but uh yeah i mean i'm also just curious about books so you just tell me (laughs) all right so i mentioned earlier uh i had a you know i really wanted to hear your take on how you might adapt something like this um and i do want to hear that but i'm gonna have you save it for like the very end it'll be the last thing we talk about okay cool if you wanted to find us on, on social media, we're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all of those at Ink to Film. And we also have our, our uh, Facebook group, Council of Inklings. Yeah, we wanted to thank SK Nash uh, for becoming a patron. She was fairly recently. Um, she's someone who I met at Worldcon. She was super nice, and, and she, I talked to her about the podcast, and she ended up following it. And yeah, she's a patron now. So thank you so much for supporting us. Uh, we really appreciate it. You help keep this thing going. And if you guys wanted to find out how to become a patron yourself, patreon.com forward slash ink to film. You can find out about bonus episodes, uh, special swag, different things we're offering. Check it out. If you wanted to help us out in another way, you could leave a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we wanted to thank Jennifer Delazana for doing our transcriptions. So I want to hear. So you are given the task. Well, let's not say you have to come up. You, have to, you don't have to write the script. But what you do, what what you do, you're gonna work with the scriptwriter, and what he wants you to do, let's say it's me. <laughs> yeah, I, he want. I want you to tell me how are we gonna take these stories and and just like briefly, just to get us started, how are we going to come up with a movie about this? How are we gonna like possibly craft this into a, a, a cinematic tale? So to me, and this is just like my perspective on books. 
that I've read. This feels like a super ex- experimental book. I feel like this isn't something that you normally do. So what I want to do is we got to dive into experimental filmmaking. We don't have to go quite as deep as like scratching, like taking film and scratching it and stuff like that to make it. But what I think is that it really We're like going full I lynch. The, <laughs> yeah, I think that we need to. Uh, first of all, I think that we have to adapt it very closely. I would definitely try to make it feel like an anthology type thing. So like each one would have like its own title card and then we'd go into it and it'd be like very formally like separated, but then also have those three lines showing up. Um, But I also, and then the other thing is like from a form perspective, we definitely have to have, I don't know if you've seen like um, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. There's like the scene where they're high and like, it's just like so surreal. And so like, like you were saying, yeah, let's just go full Lynchian is what I'm trying to say. And just like, let's like, we (laughs) have to have drug sequences and yeah, we have to have, we have to like be in the perspective of our narrator. So like, let's just go like balls to the wall. Are we going voice voiceover? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too, because there's so many great lines in this book and the way you can get them into this movie is to have our character thinking them. Because we can't possibly put them all in dialogue. It would be unnatural. But to have him thinking some of this shit, I think would be really compelling. All right, man, that sounds good to me. Uh, I'm going to be really curious to see what the movie, you know, that was made, uh, if, if they go that route at all or if they go a completely different way. The only thing I know is that Jack Black is in it, and I believe he plays Georgie. What I will say is that I don't think that uh, I don't think the movie that I just described would be financially successful, but I think it would be, <laughs> I would be, it would be a lot of fun, and I think a lot of people would appreciate it. <laughs> Cool, man. Yeah, well, I'm excited to watch this movie now because I've never seen it. You've never seen it. So we're going in blind and uh, we really loved this book. I'm glad you loved it, too, because this this was a really fond memory of me, you know, formative thing for me in my writing yeah. uh, was reading this book. So it was I'm awesome. Glad that I was yeah. able to talk about it with you. Absolutely love this book. All right. Uh, until next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.